Our Father, the pace of our lives at times just wears us out. We, we start the day with a list, and we try to work our way through it, and we make some progress, maybe knock four or five things off. But somehow in the course of emails and calls and uh, there's another seven, eight, nine, ten things on there at the end of the day. It, uh, it's, it is the pace of our lives. It's the world in which we live. We, uh, it, it's, it's hard to get away from the noise. It's hard to get away from the demands. And this technology is a blessing and a curse it, um, it, it uh, fragments our concentration. It uh, overloads our minds. We feel uh, at times spread out, uh, indulged upon, uh, with no time of our own. And we're just trying to get our work done and cover our responsibilities. But it's pretty never-ending. And in the midst of all of that, the Scripture calls us to be still and know that you are God. I could be wrong, but... I don't think that's ever been harder to do than it is in our day and time. Because we can be accessed at any time by anyone. We're pinged and we're dinged and we're, we get alerts. and it's, it's again, it's the world that we live in. So to have a moment or two where we kneel and pray and think without interruption is a great, quite frankly, mercy to us. To be still in the midst of all of the noise and interruptions, to be still. And to know that in the midst of our busy lives, you're still the God who is in absolute charge and control. Uh, you're never hurried. You're never exasperated. You're never frazzled. We are, but you're not. So we come to you. And even tonight, as we walk in here, um, put, put, uh, put rest in our hearts and just kind of slow things down a little bit, Lord, for us. Enable us to catch our breath here. And not only to catch our breath, but enable us tonight as we look into your word, we'd ask that you'd enable us, whatever it is we're dealing with and the, the different things on our plate, Help us to get it in perspective. 
if it's in perspective, in other words, if we bring it, whatever we're dealing with, under the fact that you are our God and you oversee our lives from beginning to end and that you've made promises to help us and to assist us and to care for us, if we bring these things into that perspective, well, it's going to just calm us and put peace in our heart, perhaps where there's just been frustration today and exasperation. Um, you know our hearts. We have, uh, in this day and age, uh, doctors that can look at our physical hearts and pretty much know everything there is to know about our hearts. You, you know the heart of our hearts. You know what really, really makes us tick in every way possible. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our wills, you know our inclinations, you know our strengths and our weaknesses and our aptitudes. And Lord, you know it all. How grateful we are for Christ, for what he has done for us, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. We can bring anything to you, our Father, through Christ, because he paved a way of access any time, any time for us when historically only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. We have unlimited access because we've been adopted and we're your sons. That very fact calms us down. It steadies us. It gives us hope. My life is in your hands. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. How grateful we are for these truths. Encourage us tonight by the power of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in Psalm 107 the last couple of weeks. I'd like you to turn there again. My, uh, my thought last week was that we would be in Psalm 107 and finish it tonight. That was my thought from last week. My thought for this week is we'll be in Psalm 107 tonight, and then we'll be in it again next week. It's a great psalm to camp in. It is a psalm, we've been, you know, our theme here this semester, we've been talking about the trail, the path of life, the word path. My gosh, it seems like every page of the Bible, it talks about the path, the path of life, the, the, uh, the way, the way. There is a way that seems right to a man. Um, but the end thereof is destruction. Here's another one. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is this, Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to thy own understanding, but acknowledge him in all thy ways and he will direct your steps. Your steps as you walk down the path of life, as you walk down the trail of life. Psalm 107 is, is a, what I would call, it's sort, to, me, it's sort of a, to me it's sort of a wide angle lens psalm because it's, it's taking the long view of our lives. And in my mind, pretty much, here is the Christian life. You know, the Bible says that we go from faith to faith. To me, here's what that means. Uh, when we come to know Christ, when he redeems us, when we hear the gospel, when 
Uh, our blind eyes are open. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the truth of the gospel. But when Christ regenerates us and opens our eyes, and we understand the gospel, and he puts a want-to in our hearts to come to him, and he draws us, and we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Uh, uh, I trust in you alone for my salvation. Uh, thank you for dying in my place. This is what last week was all about, Good Friday and then Easter. Uh, I ask you to lead me. Uh, you know, we've been on the wrong trail all these years, but now we're, he's put us on a new trail. Now, once we come to know Christ, we don't walk by sight, the Bible says, we walk by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that, watch this, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So now, we're not seeking ourselves, we're not seeking any other God. Before, we used to seek power, we used to seek control, or we used to seek uh, our own personal uh, goals, our own personal narcissism. Uh, now we're seeking him because he's the giver of my life. He's the sustainer. Uh, I, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want to follow him. Now, as I follow him, he's going to walk me through the path of life. He's going to walk me down the trail of life. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. Uh, but here's, when you take the wide-angle view, here's, here's what I see in Scripture. We go from faith to faith. And, and let me try to just summarize this. Uh, you, will, you will have the, the Christian life, there's always some kind of adversity. Always. It's just part, it just comes with it. Um, that's the way it is in this world. In the, in the, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Um, Philippians 1.29, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Sometimes I wish the Bible were written in pencil. Don't you? Then you could edit it. There are all these different versions. The uh, KJV, King James, uh, NASB, New American Standard, ESV, English Standard Version, uh, all these different versions. I, I kind of wish there was an NPV, a new pencil version. It would be easy to edit because some verses I like and some verses I don't like. Philippians 1.29 being an example, it's been granted to you. What's a grant? It's a gift. It's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Now, I'd like to keep the first part of the verse. It's been granted to you to believe in Christ. I'm all for that. But then it goes on and says, it's only been granted to you to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Now, that I'd erase, and so would you. But see, we can't do that. He tells us up front the Christian life is a hard life. There's a life that's more difficult, and that's the life without Christ. So we're always going to have some semblance of difficulty, or adversity, or trouble. It's just the way it goes. Okay. But here's what happens. At certain points, God brings us into times of trouble. He brings us into time of, uh, of intense um, difficulty. It's not all the time, but it is, a, it is a time where something happens to you that is unforeseen. It's something that happens that wasn't on your radar it wasn't on your 90-day plan or your six-month goals or your 
it just isn't there. It's something that kind of uh, overwhelms you. It shocks you. Uh, you're going along. Everything's fine. But you get a phone call. You get an email. And all of a sudden, you're, you're just rocked. Um, we all know Winston Churchill was prime minister twice of Great Britain. He had a, uh, a protege named Harold Macmillan who kind of stood with him even when Churchill was banished in the 30s and was, was always a young supporter. And eventually, Harold Macmillan became prime minister of, of England. Didn't, didn't, no one had the gifts Churchill did, but Macmillan was a, uh, he, he, was a, he was a leader. He was a solid leader. He could stand alone. He could stand with Churchill when everybody was coming across, uh, trying to knock him down. Long story short, uh, and his family, he came from a very wealthy family, Macmillan Publishing. That was his family. So a very wealthy guy. He was speaking at Oxford when he was prime minister, and he was speaking to the young, up-and-coming young men who would one day be in charge of the British Empire. Oh, the empire was over, but of Great Britain. You know, the leaders of Great Britain, the future leaders. And he was, he was talking with them for a while. Then they opened up for questions. And one of the young men said, uh, Prime Minister, what is the greatest challenge of leadership? What is the greatest challenge of leadership? And without hesitation, Macmillan said, events, my dear boy, events. What did he mean by that? The greatest challenge to leadership are events. What he meant, see, there are two kinds of events. On your calendar, you've got events written down. See, we live our lives, and we plan events. Um, we, just, we just came through Easter. Did you have a family get-together of some kind? We did. It was on the calendar. Uh, Christmas. Are, are we going to my wife's family, or are they coming here, or who's coming? We have planned events. You've got them on your calendar. I've got them on mine. But you see, there are other events that are not on our calendar but they're on God's calendar. And these are the unforeseen events that come into our lives. And when these unforeseen events come into our lives, what they do is they bring trouble. And they bring major league trouble. These events, which we don't see coming, it can be, it, it, it can, it, it, you, you walk in, uh, your boss asks you to come in, you're walking in, uh, thinking, quite frankly, you're going to get a promotion. You walk out, and you've just been fired. That happens. Uh, suddenly, you get, you're getting out of the shower, and you're toweling off, and you feel something you haven't felt before. And you go in, and it's not what you want to hear. Suddenly, there's an unforeseen event, and suddenly, your whole life and your whole schedule is going to revolve around this thing that's on your side that wasn't there for a while, now it's there, and now your life is not going to be normal, but you see uh, normalcy is out the window because you're in an unforeseen crisis. Not unforeseen by God, unforeseen by you. It, this could be a marriage. Your wife walks in and she's done. She's had it. Yeah, you never saw it coming. Well, it, you know, a hundred different things, a thousand different things. You get it. These, these unforeseen events 
This is what Macmillan was talking about. This is the challenge to our lives. When the unforeseen events come into our lives, and here's what these unforeseen events do. They shake us. They absolutely shake us to the core. We're stunned. We're, we're in shock. We, we have been blindsided. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're of such a magnitude that it takes pretty much all of your effort and all of your focus um, um, everything's turned upside down. And, and so now what's going on is you're in, yeah, quite frankly, you're in a survival mode. Now, is life like this all of the time? No, by the grace of God, it isn't. But there are times these unforeseen events come along and they shake us to the core. And when they come along, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is figure out how do I, how do I survive this? And pretty much every waking hour, you're trying to figure out how to survive it, how to handle it, um, not to get totally overwhelmed, to keep some kind of perspective and normalcy, but it is so hard to do. It's so hard to do. You don't have much joy. You don't have much laughter. You're, I mean, life is serious, whatever this event is. And it can be of such a magnitude that you really do wonder if you're going to survive it, and you really do wonder if you're even going to get through it. And then what happens is God breaks in at some point and he rescues you. And we have guys in this room who've been through this and they can give testimony to the rescues of God. Psalm 107 is about the rescues of God throughout our lives. Some of us in here should not be here. We should be dead. Uh, you had some kind of um, physical ailment, or as a kid you were in a car crash, or you had a drug overdose or something, uh, but uh, you know what? Or you tried to kill yourself. I remember, um, I remember a, a, a gentleman who was at Peninsula Bible Church, Lambert Dolphin, who was a brilliant scientist at uh, Stanford Research, uh, lived a wild life, uh, heard the gospel through Ray Stedman at Peninsula Bible Church. Uh, his life was turned around. He was having, uh, he was a protege of Ray's, having a great ministry to young men. Uh, and, and at a certain point, he just, uh, and he'll tell, he tells his testimony. It's extremely powerful. He just got away from the Lord and got back into sexual immorality and uh, denied it. And the leadership of the church talked with him and uh, and and he, he just denied it. Would, and actually, as I recall, this went on for a long time, and he was just resisting the discipline of the Lord. Actually tried to take his life. Uh, he knew how to take his life. He was a brilliant scientist. He knew what to ingest. Uh, he tried it once, and uh, to his amazement, he woke up in a hospital, and to his great frustration. Um, some time went by, he decided to do it again, and this time he was really going to take a dose. Woke up again. And he realized that God wasn't going to let him do it. So he repented and turned back to the Lord. 
Uh, the Lord rescued him and then later restored him and gave him, and to this day, he's being used by the Lord. Uh, the, the rescues of God. Uh, Psalm 68.8 says, To the Lord belongs escapes from death. If you've ever escaped death, you know why you escaped death? Because he's not done with you yet. He rescued you, is what he did. He rescued you. Uh, here's what happens in Psalm 107. You've got four different groups, we looked at these last week, who are in serious, serious trouble. Different kinds of trouble. There's no way out. They are hemmed in. They're locked in. They see no escape. They're without hope. And then what does God do? God intervenes. He rescues. He delivers. They give thanks for a steadfast love. Now what happens is you get towards the end of the psalm, and let's take a look at Psalm 107. We're not going to read all of it tonight. But if we pick up in Psalm 107, uh, the, the, let's, let's, let's get verse 1 because it's the theme. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for, his, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting, or his steadfast love is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary, gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Speaking of those who were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and now he has brought them back into the land. Um, and then beginning with verse 4, you get the four groups who were in trouble in circumstances that shook them, uh, different circumstances. They saw no way out, and then God redeemed them, and then God delivered them, and they give thanks for his steadfast love. You go through that, and then you get to verse 33, and it changes course a little bit. It changes course. The four groups have all been delivered. They all give thanks to God. Uh, we all suffer in different ways. We all have different afflictions. One guy's event that is unforeseen, that shakes him to the core, might be cancer uh, uh, of some type. Another guy, it might be... Um, a broken marriage. Another guy, it might be some kind of addiction. Another guy is this. So we all suffer. James says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. We all suffer in various ways, but we suffer. Okay. Now what you've got happening, beginning with verse 33, this is something that happens to believers as they go through life. And when these things happen, they need to be rescued. But it's a little different uh, subject, and it's a little different perspective. What happens beginning with Psalm 107, verse 33, is that he begins to deal with uh, reversals of fortune. Reversals of fortune. In other words, you're moving down the path of life, you're enjoying the favor of God, and then, once again, this unforeseen event, whatever it might be, comes crashing into your life, completely shakes you, uh, throws you into vertigo, and once again, you're just trying to get your feet under you, and you're simply trying to survive, and all of your energy goes into this task, which you want nothing to do with, but you have no choice. You've just been thrown into it. By the way, these events that shake us, God's purpose in sending them is that these events might shape us. 
We never suffer randomly. We never suffer by chance. We suffer under the hand of our loving Father. Now, some Christians have a problem with that because they've never heard that and they've never been taught that. So when we get into Psalm 33, to verse 33 of 107, we're going to talk about reversals of fortune. Your business is going well, and then all of a sudden there's a turn, and it's all you can do to hang on by your fingernails. I mean, just suddenly out of nowhere, that happens. It happens to Christian guys. Um, you think your marriage is fine, and then your wife comes in and pours out her heart, and suddenly you don't even, you don't even know if you're going to survive. Uh, and you're just shell-shocked by what she's saying to you. Uh, reversal of fortune. You're going one way, and then suddenly you get blindsided. Uh, the, the old Puritan pastors would call, this is what they would call cross-providences. Uh, uh, a providence is a provision of God. But a cross-providence is when God turns events, and it seems as though the Lord is actually working against you. Have you ever had that happen to you? I remember when I was in my early 30s, and I've alluded to this before, I went through that depression. It took me a couple, three years to pull out of it. It, it. Everything was going wrong in my life, and that's why I went through a depression. For a lot of guys, depression comes from loss. And every time I turned around, something was being taken away from me, and something was being taken away, and I was... I just felt like a tremendous failure in my, in, in my ministry, and I, I wasn't seen to, I don't know, it just, I, I just got overwhelmed, and I, I remember feeling like a quarterback. I remember praying, saying, Lord, what are you doing to me? I'm not against you, I'm for you. I felt like a quarterback who would take the snap from center, I'd go back, and my lineman would turn around and come after me. <laughs> I'm dead serious, that's how I felt. Have you ever felt that way? That is God coming after you? I want to say, hey, look at my jersey. Yay, Jesus. Yay, God. Hey, I'm in. Look in the program. My, my number's in, in, it's in there. It's in your book. But it just kept coming. It was like he was against me. These are reversals of fortune. Now, before we work our way through these verses very quickly, I want to go back. We, over the last couple of weeks, we have referred to the Heidelberg Catechism, which was used in Germany to teach children the Word of God and rural pastors. The context historically was that everyone lived under the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the Roman Catholic Church did not make the Bible accessible to people. Uh, really, there was usually a copy in a cathedral somewhere chained to an altar uh, in a language that people couldn't understand. God did a work in the life of this Roman Catholic scholar and priest named Martin Luther, and one of the things that happened with Luther, when he, un when he, understand, when he understood that we're not justified by works, which is what Catholicism teaches, but we're, we're justified by faith in the living Christ who died and gave himself as a ransom for many, Jesus went to the cross and took my sin upon him, and Jesus died in my place, and the just shall live by faith. I'm justified when I put my faith in Christ that he's my Savior and that it's all by grace and it's not by works. 
Luther discovered that. Luther began to write about it. And then what Luther began to do was he took the Bible and he began to translate it into everyday German that people could read and understand. In the providence of God, a guy named Gutenberg in his garage had put together this thing called a printing press and he started laying them out. And so what happened, there was a reformation. And it was making its way all over Europe, and it got to Heidelberg, and a couple guys in their 20s began to study the scriptures seriously, and went and they were tutored uh, to a degree by Luther, and these guys understood the scriptures, and they came up with this catechism, so that it was a question and answer, so that they could teach children and rural people, what does the Bible say? And they were just condensing what the Bible said. So they had some questions, and let me just do them real quick here. Question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Here's the answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is, for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. Now, see, a lot of Christians don't believe that God sends adversity. Job said, when Job was afflicted in Job 1 and all those things happened to him in about 45 minutes, Job tore his clothes, he worshipped, and he said, the Lord gives and Satan takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's not what he said. He said, the Lord gives and the, the Lord takes away. If you had no other verse, but you have many other verses, that verse teaches that God gives and God takes away. He's a wise father. You do that with your kids. There are times you give, but sometimes you have to take away. If, just, if all you do is give, you're not a good father. Because ch sometimes children have to be reprimanded. Sometimes you have to get their attention. Sometimes they have to be disciplined, and so do we as God's children. Okay. Now, there are numerous verses after that answer that I will not take the time to go into but I want to underscore, he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Now, I would also give you along these lines, and, and this is important that we go over this because, again, in a lot of churches, we are not taught this. But when you understand it biblically, it puts a whole different perspective on the things that come into your life that you don't want to be there. Let me give you Ecclesiastes 7. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be glad, of course. In the day of adversity, consider, for God has made the one as well as the other. So, when suddenly you have a job, and the next thing you know, you're out of a job, God's in that. When you have health and suddenly your health is threatened, God's in that. When, um, when you think you're going to get promoted and you walk in there and you walk out with a pink slip, God is in that. Because he is our sovereign God, he is our sovereign Father, 
Our lives are in his hand. Psalm 31, my times are in thy hand. Uh, you back up a couple verses. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say that you are my God. My times are in your hand, all of my times. Uh, Psalm 138, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. And he uses the good and he uses the bad to accomplish what he wants to do in my life. Sometimes, and sometimes, I'm going to encounter events, my dear boy, events that shake me to the core because he wants to shape me. And if all I have is an easy life, just a promotion to the top, uh, salary increase after salary increase, everything I touch turns to gold, everything in my life is perfect, all my goals are achieved, my marriage is perfect, my sex life is unbelievable, my son's the starting quarterback, all state, never been defeated in his whole life, my daughter's the most beautiful girl on the campus, she's the head cheerleader, she has a perfect score in the SAT, you're going to be a spoiled brat. I don't care how old you are, because you've never gone through anything. See, he wants to shape me. He wants to conform me to the image of Christ. If Jesus suffered, why would I not suffer? You see? So he's going to take us through stuff. Now, here's the deal. He'll take you through stuff, and you're going to think at certain points, I'll never get through this. And then what he will do is show you his faithfulness in a way that you can never conceive of, and he will step in at the right time and deliver you when you think there's absolutely no hope. That's what he does. He's a savior. He's a deliverer. That's who, that's who he is, and that's what he does. Uh, I, I, and, and let me give you just a couple other verses here. Um, I, I want to show you Isaiah 45. We looked at this last week. And again, you say, Steve, how come you just don't get right into Psalm 107? I, I because i got to set it up. If you really don't believe, can I say this to you? If you really, and, and you, you know, uh, we're very fortunate to be in the church that we're in, where we have a, a pastor who, who, who opens up the Word of God. I... I you know how fortunate we are? Hours in the Word of God. How many, how many thousands of hours has he put in his lifetime in the Word of God? And he still does it. Uh, we, we show up and we, we don't get programs and we don't get, you know, this and that, little maxims. We get the Word of God. Now, not every church has that. You see? Not every church are the people well taught. We're very fortunate. If you've never been taught that adversity comes from God, when adversity comes, you're going to be rocked. And you're not going to have any firm ground to stand on. So this is why we're kind of going through this a little bit. Now I want to show you Isaiah 45, verse 7, because... Isaiah 45 is kind of a shocking verse, and it, it, it kind of rattles our cage a little bit, but it's, it's true. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord, there is no other. Uh, but beside me there is no God. Now jump down to verse 7. I am the one forming light 
and creating darkness. Watch this. Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Uh, I have a question. Do you have any well-being in your life? Yeah, you do. I do too. Where does that come from? From our wonderful Father in heaven. Thank him for his mercies. Do you have any calamity in your life? Where does that come from? Well, there's a devil and there's an enemy and da, da, da. Yeah, there is. But ultimately, where does it come from? Uh, it comes from the Lord. Uh, Job had a life full of well-being. He was a godly man. Um, and then suddenly he had calamity. Now, where did that calamity come from? See, oh, no, see, you see Steve right there? That was, the, that was the enemy. That was the devil that came and afflicted Job. Yeah, it was, but remember now what the devil had to do before he could afflict Job. Somebody tell me. He had to get permission from the one who was in absolute control and the one to whom he answers. The devil is not equal with God. He is a fallen angel. As Martin Luther used to say, he, he's a, the devil is God's devil. He's got a purpose for him. He's under control. He has parameters. He has a chain. He can't break that chain. He can't touch you apart from the permission of the Father. And if indeed permission is granted, it is, watch this, it is to shake you in order to shape you. It's not without purpose. It's with meaning. And it is for a season. It is for a time. It has parameters. You have permission here and here, but not here or here or here or here or here or here or here. So it is under the control of your father. It's very important to understand. See, right there, that helps me. Right there, that gives me assurance. Right there, it, it, so my, life's, my life really isn't out of control, even if I get demoted. That's correct. It's, if you're, if, instead of getting promoted, you get, you get canned. That's the plan of God for you at this moment in your life. Well, my gosh, I'm not sure I'll ever get promoted. Well, you don't need to worry about that because ultimately promotion comes from the Lord. Psalm 75, not from the east, not from the west, not from the desert, comes promotion, but promotion comes from the Lord. Ask Joseph about promotion. The most unlikely guy on the face of the earth. He had no good old boy network. He didn't go to college with, the, uh, with Pharaoh and his boys. He wasn't in the fraternity. He didn't even speak the language. He, and God whew, raised him up. So it doesn't matter where you are. When, God, when, when God's ready to promote, you're promoted. That's why you don't have to seek it on yourself. It doesn't, doesn't mean you don't apply for a promotion, but you just know it's in God's hands. And you don't stress out over it if you get it or if you don't. You see, he's running your life. He's running your show. Well, I didn't get the promotion. Probably wasn't a good thing for you right now. You probably couldn't handle it. You ever gotten a promotion or you got something you really wanted? You got in there and you go, man, this is what I thought. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Well, it is. Man, I kind of wish I was back where I was. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Other times you get a promotion and it's just a fit. That's the goodness of God. So the point is, is that well-being comes from God and any calamity that's in your life right now, it comes from the Lord it's contained, it's purposeful, he's going to do something in your life, and after he's accomplished what he wants to do, he'll rescue you. 
He'll rescue you if you're in a reversal of fortune. This is what happened to Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery at the age of 17. Now, here's a question. It's not a trick question. Is it evil to sell a kid at the age of 17 into a lifetime of slavery? The answer is yes. Could God have stopped the evil? Yes. Did God stop the evil? No. Because later in his life, in Genesis 50, now that he is the prime minister uh, of Egypt and actually a father to Pharaoh, the Bible says, therefore he's the most powerful man on the face of the earth, their dad has just died, the brothers think Joseph is now going to get back with them, and he says to them, you intended it for evil, God intended it for good to bring about this present result. God does not immediately keep us from evil because sometimes God has a purpose in allowing evil and calamity to come into our lives, but at the, in the immediate context, we cannot see the evil and we cannot see the goodness of God. But whenever that happens, you see Romans 8.28 comes into play, and we know that God causes most things, not what it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. doesn't say all things are good. Murder's not good. Bankruptcy's not good. Rape's not good. God causes all things to work together for good. To those who are called, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So at some time, can't tell you when, can't tell you how, what God will do, the worst thing that's ever happened to you in some way, shape, or form, God will turn it for your good. That's, that's all we know. And so we walk by faith and not by sight because we can't see how in the, how would that ever happen? How in the heck could that ever happen? Well, you can think about it all night long for 30 days straight and you'll never figure out what God's going to do because you can't anticipate God. So just live the life he's given you and trust him that he will rescue you at the right moment. Now, let, let me, I want to say a word here because someone asked me a great question last week. They said, well, you're teaching all this stuff Man, about, you know, the sovereignty of God and God's in control. Well, where does, where, does, uh, uh, where, where does human free will come into play? And that's a great question. Uh, let's take Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Was that wrong? Was that evil? Yes. What did Joseph later say? You intended it for evil to his brothers. It was evil. God intended it for good. Um, if someone does you harm, if someone comes and attacks you or tries to um, uh, take you down, your reputation, they're talking behind your back, they're sending emails, whatever it is. You, you got someone at work who's higher up, who's got something on, they, they don't like you and they don't like that you're a Christian. They, I mean, they're coming after you. Um, are they responsible for their choices? The answer is yes. Absolutely, they're responsible. There is human responsibility. I am responsible for my choices. You're responsible for your choices. Somehow, but you say, no, wait a minute. I thought God was sovereign and God had a plan. That's exactly right. Uh, uh, Jesus said, one of you is going to, you know, I've chosen all of you, even though one of you is a devil. Who was that? Judas. Now, did God make Judas betray Jesus? And Judas said, oh, no, God, please, please, I don't want to betray Jesus. Oh, no, don't make me do it. No. You know why Judas betrayed Jesus? Because he wanted to betray Jesus. 
And somehow that's folded up in the eternal plan of God. It was explained to me this way. The plan of God encompasses human responsibility. I'm responsible for my choices. You're responsible for yours. However, God's plan, (laughs) you can't forget to factor in God's choice and God's plan. See, the plan of God, catch this, the plan of God includes human responsibility, but the plan of God is sovereign. Let's put it this way. God's plan involves certainty without compulsion. Did you get that? God has foretold what's going to happen. He has planned what's going to happen. But people are not forced against their will to do something. God doesn't work that way. Why did you marry your wife? When I married my wife, you know why I married Mary? I wanted to marry her. I didn't say, oh, no, Lord, please. No, no, no. Oh, God, please, in heaven. No, not her. No. Oh, no, Lord. No. You know, you know what? I just wanted to marry her. I wanted to hang out with her. I wanted to talk with her. I wanted to go eat spaghetti with her. I just wanted to watch I just, I never met anybody like her. I mean, she got me. I got her. It was, this was good. I married her because I wanted to marry her, and it was a plan of God the whole time. Well, how do you know it was a plan of God? Well, because he planned for us to have three kids, and we got three grandkids, and that was all the plan of God. And if I hadn't married Mary, that would have never happened. Right? But see, he worked through my desires. He worked through my will. So, and, and listen, you, 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 can, you, can, you can drive yourself nuts trying to get the bandwidth on this thing. You can't figure it out. But know this. God's plan involves certainty without compulsion. People are responsible for their acts. Somehow God oversees the whole thing. Psalm 119, 91 says, All things are thy servants. Everything serves God. Even the wicked, even the evil. Okay. So someone does you harm. Someone comes after you. Just know still that God's behind it and God is working for a purpose in your life. Now, with all that said... Let's go to Psalm 107. You guys still with me? Let's go to Psalm 107. Let's go to verse, whatever verse we're going to. I'll know it when I see it. Yeah, 33. Here we go. Now, these these are the reversals of fortune that come from the hand of God. And i got to tell you, when you first read this, you can blow right over it. But it's significant. Watch this. And, and again, he's talking to the people coming back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Did they have a reversal of fortune? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now watch this. He, meaning God, changes rivers into a wilderness. Or a desert. There is nothing in the world like a free-flowing natural river. It's wonderful. I remember when I drove up to Oregon for the first time to start seminary. And right along the highway, just outside of Ashland, 
somewhere, there was this beautiful, I don't even know what river it was. It was a stream, just, just flowing. I mean, I don't know if it was the chutes or the rogue. I don't know what it was. I pulled my car over, and I just got out, and I just stared at it for 20 minutes. I mean, it was just, there's nothing like a fresh, clean, flowing, unencumbered river. It's a blessing of God. All right, now watch this. He changes rivers into a desert and springs of water into a thirsty ground. Watch this. A fruitful land into a salt waste. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in California, in the San Joaquin Valley. You can feed everybody in the United States of America and Canada and South America out of the San Joaquin Valley. It's so productive. I drove, through, I drove through there last year. I'm going to tell you something. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. Now, this says in verse 34, he turns a fruitful land into a salt waste. Now, watch this. Because of the wickedness of, of those who dwell in it. So, you know this in the scriptures... When people turned from God, there were physical ramifications. The favor and blessing of God that we take for granted. In the old, see, today we, we attribute everything to, to whatever the latest, global warming, climate change. Let me, it's Baal worship. In the Old Testament, it was Baal worship. Baal controlled the rain. Baal controlled the agricultural cycles. It's the same thing. They, don't, they just won't give glory to God. Okay? And when people turn from God to false gods and to false deities and idolatry, this is what happens. Now, you've got godly people living in the San Joaquin Valley. I have friends who farm in the San Joaquin Valley. They're going through a tough time, you see. Uh, in, 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 in Israel, uh, if you recall... Abraham and his nephew Lot, they were very blessed by God. They had all these uh, livestock, and at a certain point, they had to divide because they couldn't stay together. They just had too much wealth and too many animals, and they had to divide and separate. And so Abraham said to Lot, uh, you choose what land you want. And he looked down towards the south to this incredible, productive, fruitful grassland and orchards, and it was just beyond belief. And he said, I'll take that. And Abraham said, fine, and then I'll take the other. What Lot chose was Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you go to Israel today, that bus will drive you down by the Dead Sea. And as soon as you get out of that bus, you're going to get hit with a wave of heat that will just about uh, turn your lights off. <laughs> and... You, you, know what, you know what that, it was so productive that Lot said, oh, I'll take that. And I'll tell you what, it's just nothing but salt and dirt and desert. And all you want to do, you look and you want to get back in the bus and get your air conditioner and get your water and head back to Jerusalem. God said it never produced again. Yeah. Now look at this, 35. Now here's the flip side. He changes the wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. See, he can do the reverse. 
uh, and there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city. See, if you're in a wilderness, what God can do, well, God can rescue you and take that wilderness and turn it into a bountiful place. He goes on and he says, uh, and there he makes the hungry to dwell. They may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. And he blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. Huh. Uh, 39, when they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and he makes them wander in a pathless waste. That's an interesting phrase because so often lands are afflicted because of their leadership because their leadership is ungodly. This is what happened in Israel, and this is what happened in Judah. And when leadership is ungodly, and the leadership takes people away from the one true living God, what happens is there's devastation in the land. You see that phrase, he pours contempt upon princes in verse 40. Do you see that? Or nobles, the leaders, and he makes them wander in a pathless waste. Keep your finger there and flip over to Job 12. Because in Job 12, you see the same uh, wording used in, in Job 12, in verse 16, it says, With him are strength and sound wisdom. The misled and the misleader belong to him. Oftentimes, sometimes God gives godly leaders who lead us in truth. But sometimes God gives us leaders who claim to be one thing, but in actuality, they're the complete opposite. And what they do, they say certain things, they attest to certain things, they say, I believe this and I adhere to this, but everything about them, there's not an ounce of proof, there's not an ounce of fruit that they believe that or in that, they're in that uh, camp at all. They're in the opposite camp. And so what they do they confuse people and they mislead people. Now, this can really throw you for a curve when you see this happening in a country. And what happens is you get all frustrated and you get all upset because that guy's lying through his teeth. This leader's lying through his teeth. He's lying through his teeth. But people don't realize that they're just going along with it. Well, note that, just note what it says. Note what it says. With God or strength and sound wisdom, the misled and the misleader belong to him. He's still in charge. He knows all about it. He's still running the show. You got a misled? You got the misled? You got the misleader? It's all under the hand of God. It's part of his plan for right now. Now, go to, uh, go to 23. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nation, then leads them away. Watch this. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people. He makes them wander in a pathless waste. Same phrase in Psalm 107. He makes them wander in a pathless waste. Why? Because they chose not to acknowledge God. And when you choose not to acknowledge God and not to acknowledge God and not to acknowledge God and not to acknowledge God, at a certain point, God's going to let you go. He's going to give you over. When, whenever God hardens someone, he is simply, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what God did with Pharaoh? He just took off Pharaoh wanted to go this way. He wanted to disobey. He wanted to disobey. He wanted to disobey. God just removed the restraints and gave him what he wanted, and he hardened his heart. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is for God to let you have your way. It is the love of God to restrain us. But when people don't want to be restrained at a certain point, God will give you over. That's Romans 1.18 to the end of the chapter, and it's where we are in this country.
He makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he still takes care of his people in the midst of it. You guys still with me? Isn't it amazing how relevant the Word of God is? It's the only thing that keeps me going. Uh, let's go on. I'm in uh, Psalm 107. He pours contempt upon princes, makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction, makes his families like a flock. God can take care of his people in the midst of crisis. God did it during the Babylonian captivity. They hauled off and were in captivity for seven years. And God says to them in Jeremiah 29, the worst happened. And he said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. What do you mean? The worst is going to happen. Man, this, this country, we've lost our country. Yeah, I know the plans I have for you, my people. I know the plans I have for you. I, I got you covered. Plans for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. And just previously, he says to them, so listen. Yeah, I know the worst has happened. So what are you going to do? I want you to get married. I want you to marry off your kids. I want you to plant your gardens. I just want you to keep living life. I got this handled. I got this under control. You just keep serving me. The eye of the Lord is on those who hope for his loving kindness. He's got us covered, guys. Um, 42, the upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord or the steadfast love of the Lord. Through the reversals of life, there is the steadfast love of the Lord. When well-being comes, it's his goodness to me. When some type of calamity comes, it's his goodness to me. He's getting my attention. He's shaking me, and he's shaping me and moving me to the next stage of maturity. I want to say this. In the two minutes exactly that I have left, this is my two-minute drill. And unlike the NFL, I'm going to violate the two-minute drill. <laughs> if you played football and, uh, and you hurt your knee, and you rehabbed your knee, and three doctors have cleared you, and you're good, you're good to go, and you suit up and you get on that field, and you get down in your three-point stance, and let's say you're an offensive lineman, and you're back on the field, it's been months and months and months, and you're back on that field, and you're suited up, and you're in health, and the knee is perfect, and you're thinking about the play that's just been called, do I hit that linebacker, or do I take that defensive tackle? You're, think you're not thinking about the linebacker or the defensive tackle on your first play back. Tell me what you're thinking about. You're thinking about your knee. Because you see, you don't want to get hurt again. Right? Now, when you've gone through some type of calamity, when you've gone through some kind of unforeseen event that has shaken you and wounded you, the last thing you want to do is go through that again. And so what can happen is, as we get back on the trail of life and God rescues us, what we've got to fight off is we've got, about, we've got to fight off some fear at this point on the trail, and here's what we've got to fight off. We've got to fight off, can I really trust God with my future? Can I really trust God with where I'm going from here? 
can I really trust God with the rest of my trail? Because I've had this calamity that he allowed and permitted to come into my life, and it just about undid me. You see, this is just human nature. I, 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 I want to give you just three very quick principles. If, if this is in your heart and mind. It's not everybody, but it's some guys in here. Here's number one. You can trust God with your future trail even if you've been deeply wounded and scarred. Let me say that again. You can trust God with your future trail even if you have been deeply wounded and scarred. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you a verse on this, and it's John 20, verses 19 through 20. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what it is. When Mary went to the tomb, and the Lord wasn't there, uh, where have they taken my Lord? The angel talks to her. It's an amazing story. And then when you get down to John um, 20, verse 19, you have a shift in scenery, and suddenly the disciples are in a room with the door locked and shut for fear of the Jews because they're thinking that if they went after Jesus, they're coming after us next. They're absolutely overcome with anxiety and fear in this locked and shut room, and suddenly the risen Lord is in the room. I love that. Locked doors don't bother Jesus. He just shows up. And he says to them, in fact, it says, peace be unto you. And then he showed them his scars and the wound in his side. Now, I've read that a thousand times in my life, but it wasn't until recently the significance of that hit me. Um, when you've been shaken to your core and wounded and scarred deeply and you don't ever want to go through that again and you're fighting off fear that something might happen to you again, can I tell you this? Jesus understands your wounds and your scars because he was wounded and scarred. He knows what that's like. And I also want to say this. As deep as your wounds and your scars have been, they cannot compare to his wounds and his scars because he took on the sin of the entire world. What I'm trying to say is that he understands our fear. He understands. He gets it. He, he, he understands my thought from afar. Um, when I went through that depression, I learned a verse, Psalm 34, 18, he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit, which is the second principle I want to make, that if you, uh, you can trust God with your future, even if you've been deeply crushed. Because, see, sometimes when these unforeseen events come into our lives, they absolutely crush us, crush us. Uh, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you have a chance to go to Israel, you can still go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and on that hillside, you know what you see everywhere? You see olive trees, everywhere. You know what a Gethsem is? It's an olive press. They take those olives, and they put them into this press 
and they crush them. They obliterate them until that oil comes out. Jesus was crushed for us. And here's what Jesus does. When Jesus is going to use a man, he will take that man and he will crush his man. He will crush him in order to use him. He says, my power is perfected in weakness. When you're crushed, you're weak. But for the first time in your life, you'll see the power of God start coming through your life. And then he'll raise you up. This is tough stuff. You say, I don't want to get crushed. Well, I don't either. There are guys in this room that have been absolutely crushed and obliterated. And God's using them. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Hmm. uh, Can I also say this? You won't be crushed forever. It's for a season. He heals the broken heart. You won't won't always be in that condition. He'll, He'll bring you back. He'll restore you. He'll heal you. Okay. Number three. You can trust God with your future if you are still waiting for a merciful deliverance. Let me say that again. You can trust God with your future trail, even if today you're still waiting for a merciful deliverance. We have guys that are right now in the midst of something that's shaking them to the core, and they're wondering how long it's going to go on and on and on. Um, I want to give you two principles I got from Obadiah Sedgwick, the, the Puritan pastor, 350 years ago. Um, if you're waiting for God to get you out of this trouble, out of this crushing event, first principle from Sedgwick. You haven't, I, I don't know why God is delaying. Sedgwick says this, God often delays when he does not intend to deny. Don't lose me here. God often delays when he does not intend to deny. The longer we're in the difficulty and God does not answer our prayer, we lose hope, don't we? Oh, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be rescued. But Sedgwick says, God often delays when he does not intend to deny. And then here's the second principle. God often doubles the mercy by delaying the mercy. Let me say that again. God often doubles the mercy by delaying the mercy. The verse I give you there is Isaiah 61, 7. But I would also refer you to John eleven six, and you don't have to turn. I'm out of time. I'll just tell you. Jesus was ministering, and word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And the Bible says... And, and he, was in, he was in Bethany. The word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And the Bible says that Jesus delayed and stayed where he, where he was for two more days. Once again, you could fly right over that. There's a delay of God. Now, now is that not a little bit counterintuitive? 
he, he loved Lazarus. He was friends with the sisters of Lazarus. Uh, he was close to the family. Uh, if you get a word that a friend is sick, they're in the hospital, something's happened, what are you doing? You're going. Jesus delayed on purpose for two days. When he finally got there, the first sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. True statement. Because if Jesus had have gone immediately and he was sick, what did Jesus do with sick people? He healed them. But you see, Jesus delayed for a reason and for a purpose that they could not comprehend because he wanted to do a mercy that was double beyond anything they could ever ask or think. So it goes on in the passage, and it says that when he arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and when Jesus told them to roll the stone away, one of the sisters says, Oh, no, no, Lord, because there will be a stench from the body. Precisely. Because no one can dispute that he's dead. Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. Was there a delay? Yes, there was a delay. Could they understand the reason? No. But when God delays, he often doubles the mercy. That's a word some of you guys need to hear. He has not forgotten. He is the God who can rescue, and he is the God who can do, not to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. To him be glory. That's our Savior. That's our rescuer, no matter where you are on the trail. So our Father, we praise you, and thank you for your word, and thank you for your truth. For the guys who are crushed tonight, who are brokenhearted, put hope in their hearts from the power of your word. Let them know your eye is upon them. And at the right time, at the right time, you will rescue. In Jesus' name, we make this prayer. Amen.